Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. This week, we're checking in with one of this programme's regular chroniclers of our volatile economic times, Paul Donovan, Chief Economist in UBS Global Wealth Management. In the first of an occasional series, Paul's joining us to talk us through some of the topics that he's been writing about in the latter half of 2022. Today's programme is exploring the supply-demand imbalance. Paul Donovan, great to have you with us on the show, as always, to talk a little bit about supply and demand. Paul, we obviously saw a pretty extraordinary surge in demand for goods in 2021 for reasons I I think that are well chronicled and certainly that we've discussed before. But, well, at the risk of asking you a a sweeping question, but what's what's happened since that maybe helps us to understand what happened around the time of that surge in demand and then in the months that followed? Right. So one of the things that we, we had in 2021 was this story that supply chains were broken. There was problems in global supply chains. And that just wasn't true. There were one or two problems in some supply chains, but actually what we had was extraordinarily strong demand, extremely strong supply. Supply hit all-time record highs last year, but the demand was so much more powerful than the supply. And that therefore led to imbalances, which created inflation and so on. Now, it's very important to distinguish between demand is bigger than supply And supply chains are broken. Because if your supply chain is broken, this isn't something you fix overnight. This takes years to fix. You you don't suddenly build a factory in, in a month. I mean, that's not how this works. So if you've actually genuinely got broken supply chains, then the imbalance of supply and demand can last for a very, very long time indeed. If, however, the issue is not broken supply chains, but just that temporary factors have caused an absolute surge in demand, then when those temporary factors fade and the surge in demand fades, the supply and demand balance will start to shift and you'll actually see supply exceeding demand. And so what has happened, uh, particularly over the course of this year, is that when we look at the things that everybody was buying last year, demand for those things has started to fade. So electronics demand has fallen. You know, People are not buying exercise bikes or televisions in the way that they were. They're buying you know, fewer washing machines, less furniture, et cetera, et cetera. So demand has been coming down. And of course, as that demand has come down, the supply and demand balance has shifted. So last year, demand was far in excess of supply. This year, Demand is not in excess of supply, and certainly for some products, I think you make a very, very strong case that we now have excess supply. Supply is now above demand. If you look at things like television prices, for example, which are absolutely collapsing, that does suggest that the balance of supply and demand has completely flipped over. And Paul, is it relevant that there is, if there is a supply-demand imbalance, that it is set against this increasing interest rate environment? How does that influence that landscape that you've described? So I think higher interest rates have some impact, but they're, they're not actually that big because what we saw to create this extraordinary level of demand was the fact that we'd come out of the pandemic with savings and with reduced credit card debt. And at the same time, as we initially emerged from the pandemic, if you cast your mind back to last year, people weren't really comfortable 
about spending on services. People didn't want to go on holiday. You know, they were more reluctant to go out to restaurants and things like that. And so the results was that you got a strong skew in the composition of spending money towards spending on goods rather than services, which is not the normal pattern. Normally, you spend a lot more money on services. And so what has happened is that almost regardless of interest rates, as we go back to our more normal pattern, and this year, you know, everybody was fanatically insisting we will go on holiday, we will take time away, we will enjoy services, that shifts the spending back again, and that naturally reduces the demand. Now, interest rates have had some bearing. So for most economies, the most interest rate sensitive part of the economy tends to be the housing market because you know, mortgages are a big commitment, mortgage interest rates are a big commitment, so that matters. Now, what we have seen is that as mortgage rates have gone up, demand for new properties or new first-time buyers has, has come down, and you would expect to see that, and that does have some knock-on effects because, of course, if you're not buying a new home, you're not buying a new washing machine to put into your new home. You're not buying new furniture to put into your new home. And so some aspects of demand have been weakened sort of indirectly by the interest rate story. But actually, a lot of this rebalancing of durable goods supply and demand was coming about just by natural forces and the fact that consumers have reverted to their normal spending patterns over the course of the last 12 months. Paul, I did want to ask you one thing about supply chains, and this is a slightly more kind of open-ended and forward-looking aspect, but I wonder, we're talking about the fact that they may not have been broken and that we're seeking to re-establish this sort of traditional equilibrium, if you, if you like. But on supply chains, are there some positives here, by which I mean... People have looked at how robust they are. And again, there's different questions now around sustainability and this sort of thing. Do you think there's been a positive scrutiny on supply chains, whether people were looking and questioning it for the right reasons or not, and that actually that could be a broad positive in terms of the way that certainly big businesses and others are looking to try and ensure that their supply chains are more robust and future-proofed as we enter you know, fourth industrial revolution and so on? I think what the pandemic has done, as it's done in many other areas, of course, is accelerate a change that was already underway. So we were seeing more scrutiny of supply chains. And some of that was about how robust is the supply chain and and how secure it is. Some of it was about actually, are we producing in the most cost efficient manner possible? And long, complicated supply chains are not necessarily the most cost-efficient way of producing nowadays. Some of it was reputational risk. You know, do we really know what's going on at every stage of a long, complicated supply chain? Wouldn't it be easier if we, you know, had our production right here where we can check what's going on and, you know, make sure that there aren't abuses of human rights and labor and so on and so forth? There's a whole mix of things, I think, that were already underway. And what the pandemic has done is accelerate that. And so there has then been more examination and and perhaps some speeding up of the changes. Nevertheless, I think, again, it comes back to the point that changing a supply chain is not necessarily that quick a process. So when we're speeding up change, it means that we may be doing something in the next five years rather than the next 10 years that sort of thing. But yes, I think certainly the the spotlight on the complexity and security of global supply chains has led to perhaps a larger number of companies thinking about where they want to go, or perhaps just thinking a little bit more urgently about where they want to go with their supply structure. Paul Donovan, 
do listen out in the weeks ahead for more from Paul on some of the crunch topics and big questions, including his take on profit-driven inflation. But that's all for this edition of the programme. Listen again and explore more at monocle.com. That's where you can join the club by subscribing to Monocle magazine. You can also follow this programme wherever you get your podcasts and you can discover more and find out how UBS can help you at ubs.com. This is The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening. 